book is going, we're at a real turning point, which is why we stopped here. Um, we're looking at a genealogy. Please calm down when I say that. Um, we're, we're looking at genealogy in Genesis 11. Um, but I want us to, to see how the story of Abraham fits the story of Tyre Babel and, and the broader narrative of Scripture. So I think you'll find uh, that it, it does affect us uh, today, particularly on Inauguration Day. So I don't want to read the, the entire genealogy. Um, actually, if, if you don't mind, if we do some skipping, because we're going to read it more next week, Lord willing, I'll read the whole thing. Let's skip down to verse 27 of chapter 11 uh, and look at Terah's descendants. There's really two genealogies, but they're essentially... Um, where the first one leaves off, the second one picks up, but just the second one has a specific emphasis on Abraham. Um, so verse 27, Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. Now notice there, just real quick, because we'll talk about this later, three sons of Terah. Remember, there's three sons of Adam, three sons of Noah, three sons of Terah. These are three significant covenantal moments, Danny, or dispositional moments, depending on your theological position, right? Um, but it's fascinating. The emphasis on three sons. Um, uh, and Haran followed, uh, Haran followed Lot. Of course, that's going to be significant in the following chapters. Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his kindred in Ur of Chaldeans. That is why Ab- uh, Lot, Abram has Lot, which is eerily similar to the story of Cain and Abel, isn't it? Abel died prematurely. And we don't know what happened to Haran here. But there's some parallels, I think, that are noteworthy. So you're left with two sons, Naor and Abram. And we follow the story of Abram, who is of the line of Seth, of course. So, um, uh, so Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of, the, of his kindred, or the Chaldeans. Abram and Naor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nair's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son's wife. And they went forth together from Ur, the Chaldeans, to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now, what I want to talk about, we're not going to be able to explore that in any detail, um, but, but we will. I want us to get the big picture of what is actually happening with this genealogy. Um, and one of the major uh, story plots that we see thus far in Genesis that we've not really emphasized. Remember, we did the trees and we've, we've done stuff like that. One of them worth, worth highlighting is the story of um, unity versus disunity. Now, can you think of a scenario in the year 2021 where it might be important for Christians to talk about the biblical understanding of unity and disunity. If you think of one, please don't let me know, because I'm, I'm tired of thinking of examples, frankly. Um, but, but this is a storyline of, of the Bible. How is it that you and I, what we want most, everyone in the world, what we want more perhaps than anything, is to just get along? And the one thing we cannot achieve is to get along. No matter what your circumstance is, whatever your setting is, from your marriage to your family to your home to your neighborhood, your community, your church, your commonwealth, your country, your world, we cannot get along. No matter how small the unit how large the unit? We can't get along with ourselves a lot of times, right? I mean, we, we, we live in an age of disunity and divisiveness. It's fascinating how the Bible goes about to explore this issue 
And we want to emphasize the opening chapters. If we had time, we could go all the way through the whole, whole Bible to do this. To start, let's go back to Genesis chapter 2. I actually want us to, to read this. Genesis 2. Um, Genesis 2, verse 18 to 23. Um, about a year ago, we looked at this passage in some, some detail. Uh, Verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, now remember the the context there. Everything is good. You have good mentioned seven times in Genesis 1. Seven times. That's on purpose, of course. But then we discover something isn't good. Everything is good but this one thing, and that is mankind is lonely. He is without something. He, and only he, is missing something in creation. Everything else is good and fulfilled and as God designed it. But but Adam, or the human, which is what Adam means, um, this is missing. So uh, the answer is a helper. And remember that that word helper does not diminish the status of women. It actually lifts them up. If you need a helper, that means you need help, right? You know, but don't forget that God himself... Uh, adopts the title of helper in the Psalms and in the Gospel of John. It's good that I leave you, Jesus says, for a parakletos, a helper, advocate, counselor, comforter, will come to you. Right? So God adopts that language. So it isn't diminishing the influence and importance of, of womanhood. I think it actually lifts it up. Because right? um, God doesn't adopt the language of man, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, uh, he doesn't call himself Adam. Uh, verse 19, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, brought them to man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock, to birds of heavens, beasts of field. For Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So uh, you need to notice here that the problem is identified in verse 18. The solution is identified in verse 18. Problem is he's alone. Answer is he's a helper. Then what does God do? Does he give him the solution right away? No, Amazon is delayed because of COVID. So what God does here is he gives him all the options of creation to see if they'll fit that void. And in particular, he gives him a job and he gives him creation. So his job is to name the animals. And so here come all the animals. He's, he's exercising his role as prophet, priest, and king in the garden. And he is interacting with the animals. But what does he find with the animals? There's a boy rhinoceros and a girl rhinoceros. There's a boy aardvart and a girl aardvart, assuming that's how they identify. And, and so that's what he discovers. In all the animals, there's male and there's female. He then looks in the mirror. What does he find? Only male. He is missing something. Missing something. And so is in that context, God causes a deep sleep. God will do the same thing with Abraham in chapter 15, where Abraham goes to sleep and God cuts a covenant, literally cuts a covenant with Abram. So too, God cuts a covenant with Adam um, here. So, so there's purposeful parallel between them. But we'll get to chapter 15 in about six months. Um, so, but, but what, what I want you to see here, um, verse, uh, verse, so he takes from man, right? Creates woman, verse 23. Uh, man said, this is the first poem ever written. This is the last bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Um, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, were not ashamed. I want you to notice a few things here. Is we have the problem of loneliness. The solution then is is marriage. I, we, we already read the uh, verses up here, so I don't know why I have them up here. But 
So the so solution then is marriage. Now, how is marriage defined? Marriage is defined as two becoming one. Notice you have diversity, not disunity. Diversity becoming unity. And that diversity is important. Adam sees Eve and he immediately recognizes you are like me, but you are different from me. And that's made clear that they were both naked, but not ashamed. They could see that there was distinction between men and women. Their roles, one is prophet, priest, and king, the other is helper, establishes them as different. And we already got the theology in Genesis 1 that man and woman are equal as image bearers, um, but different as image bearers. Okay? So their status is the same, their role is distinct. So what you have then, out of two different, one. That's the beauty of marriage. Um, I had to record three devotions today, so I don't remember if it was today or if it's tomorrow's. I think it's today's. Jesus is asked, uh, actually, I think it's tomorrow's. Jesus is asked about divorce, and he quotes Genesis 2. He says, the point of marriage was to bring uh, diversity into unity. What divorce does is it breaks unity into uh, uh, division. It divides what is one. God's plan was to bring unity to that which was two. Well, then in chapter 4, um, what we get is the birth of the first children. Now, think about what the family is, and we'll, we'll look at it up here. Adam knew Eve, his wife. That is, again, the picture of unity, right? Um, and she conceived and bore Cain. Now, notice what just happened. One became three. Now, I know that sounds like public school math, and it is, but theologically it works, right? In the story, you've, you've gone from two to one, one to three. Adam knew his wife. She conceived and gave birth to Cain. said, I've gotten a man. We talked about that. I just, I will never find that not funny. With the help of the Lord. It's fascinating that the helper was given help from God. I don't think I noticed that before. Uh, I wonder what the wordplay is there. And again, she bore his brother Abel. So one became three and one became four. Okay. So that's family. So the idea is in the home, you have two become one, one become many. And out of that many, what do you have? You have diversity again, but you still have unity. We're all part of the same family. This is why your crazy uncle, I'm not going to befriend on Facebook, but I will befriend my crazy uncle on Facebook and I'll put up with him every holiday, right? There's something about family. We get this. So, so we get this in the, the biblical narrative. And so with the genealogies that follow, what is the message? All of us trace our origin to this family particularly to Adam. And that is actually the problem, isn't it? Because uh, it isn't long after uh, two become one, that one become two, and it isn't long before that one that becomes three, then become back down to two after, after, after uh, uh, a murder. So if you're lost, um, stick with me. Um, so if you go to Genesis 3, you don't have to turn there. Um, notice what happens in the marriage, right? The idea is two become one, one become uh, a multitude. But sin entered into the, the world. And what happened with Adam and Eve immediately? They eat of the fruit. Their eyes are opened. It's not that they were blind before, but this is, they're seeing things they weren't ready to see yet. Uh, and they knew that they were naked. Now, they already knew that they were naked. But now comes with it shame. You and I are different from one another. 
And so they sewed thick leaves together and made themselves loincloth. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking into the garden of the day. Man's wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord. Now notice that the purpose of marriage was for two to become one. But notice that one has now become two again. They're hiding from each other. And they're hiding from God. This is the beginning of all disunity and division and separation. This is it. It is a separation from God and thus a separation from one another. Um, so, so the math is becoming quite complicated. Um, and, and then what happens in Genesis 4, the one, that is the marriage, fractures again um, by the means of violence. Cain kills Abel. So you remember, you went from two to one, and then that one became three, one became four, and now you're back down to three again. But it's more complicated than that. Because what does Cain do after he murders his brother? He didn't repent. He's not sorrowful for it. What does he do? He separates himself from Adam and Eve and Seth and his sisters. He, he, he pulls himself away. So you have more separation, more division in, in the, uh, the storyline. Uh, now, this is illustrated in the genealogies of chapters 4 and 5, those parts that we, we always skip over. Now, think about it. We should read in Genesis 4, the line of Cain, in Genesis 5, the line, line of Seth, but that's not actually how it, we should read it, is it? It's the line of Adam. But why do we read it as the line of Cain and the line of Seth? It's because of the fracturing of unity. This is what sin does. Um, and, um, and in fact, in Cain's line, we see continued fracturing of humanity. We meet a guy named uh, well, before we get there, notice that in this fracturing, when Cain pulls himself out, he goes to a city. This is going to play a part in Babel. What is the point of a city? A city is a place where everyone can be together. All right? That's why every major city in the United States, they have a sports team. and Everyone roots for that sports team. Why? Because it is a polite way for you to hate the next city, right? <laughs> you know, Louisville versus Kentucky, Lexington versus Louisville. Right? And MLS, they, uh, Cincinnati got a, a, a soccer team instead of Louisville uh, because there was a, already a team in Columbus, so they wanted to create a natural rivalry between Columbus and Cincinnati. Not that you care, right? We, we, we get this, right? Um, this, this is what sports does. And a city is, is the place to be where, where we're to have a common identity based on geography. So what does Cain do? He has created fraction from within his family. He then goes farther east from Eden, which is symbolic language in Genesis, we see he establishes the first city, which has the point of creating unity. So Cain tries to, out of the many, create one. But what comes out of that experiment? The city of Enoch. We meet a guy named Lamech, and Lamech ain't good. So Lamech said to his wives, now, pause right there. What was the original idea? Two become one. What does Lamech do? He tries to make three become one. Now, I know there's a lot of examples of bigamy and polygamy in the Old Testament. But can I tell you something else you're missing with those stories? It never works out. Never. The best example is probably the story of Abraham with um, Sarah and Hagar. There's a natural competition. You've got two people fighting for one person. It doesn't work out. And then you add the true meaning behind intimacy, uh, and it makes it even more difficult. 
So Lamech is trying to create unity out of the many. The problem is, is he's got too much of Cain in him. So he tells his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Uh, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounded me, a young man for striking me. It's parallelism. If Cain is revenged sevenfold, then Lamech is 77-fold. What does he say? He's, he's 10 times worse than Cain. So notice, now you have an effort to create unity and you have violence in the city. And it doesn't work. Of course it doesn't work. It doesn't work at, at all. So um, he is like Adam in that he falls after his desires. In this case, the wise, he's like Cain. He murders. Well, guess where the story goes now? Genesis chapter 6, you get the cosmic fractioning. The sons of God and the daughters of men. However you may read that, interpret that. Notice this language in chapter, verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. Remember, what is Adam and Eve's job? They are to have babies, fill the earth. By chapter 6, the earth is full, not with humans, but with violence. So violence doesn't create unity. Maybe protesters should learn that. Right? Can, can anyone say after a summer of cities burning to the ground that we're more a closer country? No. Do you think after storming the federal capital, we're closer as a country? No. Why is that so surprising to figure out? Right? Once you start blowing things up and threatening people, you've not made friends. I don't understand why that is so difficult. Uh, so where you have violence, when the whole earth is full of violence, you no longer have unity. What you have is tribalism, and within tribes you have more fractions. Um, uh, and so what does God do? God responds by seeking to purify humanity through the flood. So you get the Genesis chapter 9, right? So you've got the flood, and what is Noah? Noah means rest. Ararat shares the same letters as the word curse. So rest comes and lands on the curse, right? And because the earth is cursed, all this sort of stuff. Rest, Noah gets out of the boat. And what is his job? His job is to be the next Adam. He is to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Same thing given to Adam. He is the new Adam. Much as Adam had three sons, Noah has three sons. From these three sons, ideally, will, will the, the earth will be filled. And ideally, from these three sons, they will trace their, their origin to one man, thus saying, whether you're, you're a descendant of, of Ham, Sham, or Japheth, you need to know we're all one human race. We all trace our origin to, to Noah. That's the idea. But what happens with the story of Noah? Noah is too much like Adam. Right? He's supposed to be the ideal Adam, but he becomes the actual Adam. How so? Well, it's the same parallels. You, you get, um, um, in chapter 9, um, uh, yeah, just for, uh, I, I want to point out this word. The whole earth was dispersed. Interesting word. That's the idea, to fill the earth, but you feel the earth, the many, because of unity. That's what I want you to see, that, that, that the gospel, the Eden ideal is Though you have many, you really have one because God is the creator and we trace our genesis to one person, Adam and then, of course, Noah here. But what does Noah do? Well, like Adam, he sins by the fruit of the vine. Right? And like Adam, it involves nakedness. And like Adam, his son is cursed. So what you have is 
Two of his sons come and cover the shame of Noah, much the same way God covered the shame of Adam. And now what you have are two sons who are the righteous line and one son is more of a wicked line. Now, these three sons are going to dominate the rest of the Old Testament because Ham's firstborn, Canaan, is a real uh, problem for the generation of Moses and Joshua. They have to go into the land of Canaan and fight the Canaanites. So what, what's happening? The descendants of Shem, the Semites, is where the Semite term comes from, is having to fight the descendants of Ham. But who are the descendants of Ham and the descendants of Shem? They are descendants of Noah. They're cousins, basically. But they hate each other because of sin. That, that, that's the idea. Um, and that is what we see in chapter 10. Chapter 10 is a long genealogy of Ham, Shem, and Japheth. I want you to notice how chapter 10 opens and closes. These are the generations of sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. Um, So Noah's grandsons, right after they get out of the flood, uh, they're they're having, uh, it's it's the baby boomer generation comes. Uh, The end of it says, these are the clans of the sons of Noah. It's it's interesting language, isn't it? We're from generations to clans, tribal, it's tribal, tribes. According to the genealogies in their nations and from these nations spread abroad on the earth at their flood. So we have the dispersion. It's what we want. But as the story unfolds, what do we find? Not unity, the Eden ideal, but disunity, which we'll call the, the Babel ideal. So just remind you, um, by the way, verse 32, does anyone have King James, New King James or New American Standard Bible? Chapter 10. What do you have, Lonnie? Uh, New King James. Okay, do you, instead of the word spread, what word do you have there? Uh, the nations were divided. The divided. Uh, the, anyone else have, have a word like that? Divided or separated? What is it? 32, 1032. Well, the King James is divided as well, and the NIV is spread out. Spread out, okay. So, narrative wise, spread makes sense. Theologically, this is the challenge of translation. Do you want to be readable or do you want it to be theological? Um, New American Standard, I think, has separated. Uh-huh. You got you got NASB? Yeah, so separated. So so theologically, those translations are emphasizing what's happening in the story. Most of our translations are trying to make the story make sense. So, yes, the nation spread out, but what Moses wants us to see is actually they're divided. They're separated from each other. So it's not like the Hamites and the Shemites, they may occupy different parts of, 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 the, na- of the country, right? So you've got northerners and southerners, but really what they are is they're northerners and they're southerners. You don't cross the Mason-Dixon line, Yankee. That's what it, it became. It isn't just that we spread out. We've become separated. We've, we, we've been divided from each other. So instead of being descendants of Noah, now we're descendants of Ham, Sham, or Japheth. This isn't the Eden idea. And the genesis of this is sin. Sin, um, uh, sin causes these problems. So we get Japheth. Uh, it, it, just to summarize chapter 10, you, there are seven sons of Japheth, seven grandsons of Japheth. Of course, that's on purpose. Um, Japheth, his descendants will North Mediterranean Sea, Greece, Italy, all that. Chapter 10, verse 5 uh, says, For these were the coastlands peoples spread in their lands, 
each with his own language by their clans in their nation. So notice now what you have. You don't just have the descendants of Japheth. You have within that tribes who find their identity. You see, there's, it's, not, it's not spreading out of unity. It's dividing out of disunity. Then you get the descendants of Ham. Four sons are highlighted. Cush, this is Ethiopia, the Egyptians, Put, and Canaan. And there's seven sons and, and, and seven grandsons. And in verses 9 and 10 of chapter, of chapter 2, we get a brief narrative about Nimrod, which, will, which is then fulfilled in, in chapter 11 with Babel. Um, and then we get the descendants of Sham. This is where we get the Semites, is what the word means. Sham means name. Uh, we'll pick up this with Abraham. Remember, Abraham, what did God say? I'm going to make a great Sham out of you. Well, guess who the ancestor of Abraham is? Shem. The Bible is just so well written. It's it's amazing. Um, One of his sons is Eber. That's the origin of the word Hebrew. So a Hebrew is the sons of Eber. Um, Shem has 12 sons. Wonder why that is. Hmm. That may show up later. Eber has 14 descendants. Um, Genesis 10.31. These are the sons of Shem by their clan, by their languages, by their lands, by their nations. Again, you have separation. Now, this is going to be a pattern throughout it. Think about it. You, you, you get Abraham has two boys. He has more, but two boys, Isaac and Ishmael. So even though they have the same father, does Isaac and Ishmael get along? Do their descendants get along? No. Who buys Joseph and sells him into slavery? Ishmaelites. Who are the Moabites, Right? They trace their genesis to, I believe, Isaac? I don't know. They show up as friends, like with the story of Ruth, but then David is the one who has to wipe out the Moabites. This is a constant problem. The, the sibling rivalry in the Bible is all over the place. Cain and Abel, um, Joseph and his 12 brothers, Isaac and uh, Ishmael, Jacob and Esau, um, Ham, Ham, uh, Shem and Japheth versus Ham. There's plenty of examples of this. So the family and the idea is you should have unity as image bearers. But what are we getting in this world? We're getting disunity. Everywhere you go, you're getting disunity. And this genealogy makes this very clear. Now, in Genesis 10, there are 70 nations. That what the Bible is not saying is that there were only 70 nations. But it's highlighting 70. So I want to read you a long quote. And I ho- hope you're not lost. I, okay. One commentator says there are 14 Japhethites, 30 Hamites, and 26 Shemites. The figure 70, even if not explicitly given, can hardly be fortuitous. There's your word of the day, Pee Wee Herman. The mere recognition in, uh, of the existence of additional unnamed coastal nations lends added significance to the enumeration as being delivered. That is to say, Moses purposely chose 70 nations here. In the biblical world, the number 70 is typological. That is, it is used for rhetorical effect to evoke the idea of totality, of comprehension. That is to say, the two favorite numbers of Genesis, 7 and 10, 70 is those two numbers multiplied. I know that's public school math, but I'm like 40% sure that is correct. So 70 is completion on a large scale. 7 is completion on a small scale. Right, that's the idea. Uh, go back to Genesis 1, you see 7 and 10 all over the place, all over the place. The first verse is seven words. The second verse, 14 words. 
It's all over the place. Good, used seven times. You know, according to its kind, I believe is seven times. It's all over the place in Genesis 1. Um, thus, according to Genesis 46, 27, um, the entire household of Jacob that went down into Egypt comprised 70 people. We've talked about this. The representative body of the entire community of Israel in the wilderness consisted of 70 elders, as recorded in Exodus 24, Numbers 24. Remember that the Septuagint is called the 70, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, all part of this tradition. Um, how many did Jesus send out? He sent out 70. In light of this convention, one may safely assume that making the offspring of Noah's sons total 70 is a literary device to convey the notion of the totality of the human race. This device affords an insight into a major function of the table, Genesis 10 and 11, a document thus far unparalleled in the ancient world. It is no mere academic or scholastic exercise. It affirms, first of all, the common origin and absolute unity of humankind. Then, uh, then it tactfully but effectively asserts that the varied instrumentalities of human device out of this are all secondary to the essential unity of the international community, which truly constitutes a family of man. That's a smart person's way of saying whatever it is that divides us, whatever it is, is at best secondary to what unites us. We are all made in the image of God, by God, and we are descendants from one man and one woman twice, right? <laughs> I mean, right, we got it wrong the first time, we got to like, let's try that experiment again, and we're still getting it wrong. Now, this is the problem what's happening in America now. It used to be the Martin Luther King Jr. approach, which we may or may not have just celebrated two days ago. It was, I look for today, my children are judged not by the color of their skin, tribalism, but by the contents of their character, integrity. All right? The Christian says, well, add to that, just in general, I see you as an equal, as a fellow human. Now, Issues of integrity stuff, yeah, all that is important. What Luther was concerned with, or King was concerned with, was we would judge people and say, if you are this race, then this. If you are this political position, then that. If you have this ethnicity, this, this uh, religion, whatever, then you are this. Your identity becomes this tribe. What have we done since then? We've said that, that you have to see race, otherwise you're a racist. Right? Why? Because your race now defines you. Your tribe defines you. Your politics define you. Your genetic makeup define you. Your, your, your uh, uh, upbringing defines you. Your ethnicity defines you. How you vote defines you. Can I prove it to you? If you drive a 4x4 pickup truck, who did you vote for in 2020? Statistically speaking, who did you vote for? Trump. Like in the 90 percentile, you voted for Trump. If you drive a, um, um, a Prius, who did you vote for in 2020? In the 90 percentile, you voted for Biden. Isn't it incredible how easy it is for us to, to, get, to attach ourselves beyond just mere politics to everything else? It's, it's incredible what, what we've done. So what are we doing as Americans now? We've bought into the Babel ideal, not the Eden ideal. Now, what is the Babel ideal? We, we've got to go through this quickly. Um, uh, 
in chapter 11, we get Babel. Now, here's the question. How will this many, from chapter 10, all these, these 70 nations, how will the many become one? Well, a guy named Nimrod, for a week can tell, he had an answer. It's Cain's answer. He goes and builds a city. Now, notice the language in chapter 10. I've got to go back to it. Chapter 10, verse 1. The, or chapter 11, verse 1, sorry. Verse, chapter 11, verse 1. The whole earth, the word there is land. So there's debate. Is it literally all 70 nations now? I, no point. We, we, we've, we've done battles, so we've explored all that. The whole earth, the whole land, had one language and the same words. Now, one is the language of unity. Do you see it? It's right there. It's so easy to, to miss, but it's so hard to miss once you see it. The story so far has been God creates unity to become one, one become three, one becomes many. But now because sin has entered the world, we always have many, even within marriage, even within the home. We have many because we have within the home murder and violence and fatricide. Cain kills Abel. Lamech kills uh, other people, takes two wives. One of those wives belongs to someone else. So we have violence and divisiveness, and we have judgment as a result. But Nimrod says, hey, let's build a city. It's going to be one language, use the same words. Verse 2, and as people migrated from the east. Now, notice, are they, are they going west now? The, the pattern has been you go to the east, and when you go to the east, you're getting farther away from God. Now they're coming from the east. They're going back west. You see the pattern there? They're trying to recreate Eden, but they're creating Eden in their own image and in their own likeness. We can do this. How do you create Eden? You do it with a city. So they found a plain in the land of Shinar, Shinar and Settled. It's where the uh, ancient Sumerians are from. This is the beginning of, of civilization as we know it. Um, and they said to one another, come, let us make. Now, does that language sound familiar to you? It's what God said when he made man. Come, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. It's not an accident that, that the biblical writer is describing it this way. Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. That's technology. So man cannot create out of nothing. But with technology, man can make. And what man makes is quite impressive. I still remember growing up, the few times we go to Cincinnati, right? Cincinnati was, was that, you know, uh, was it in, in uh, Lion King? Um, we don't go to, right, up to the, we don't go over. That was Cincinnati, right? That, that we just didn't go there very often. Um, but I remember when you would come over the, the hill there, you see the, the city. I thought, wow, how does man do that? It is incredible, right? Um, Johnny Cash once said, he, he sang the song, I've Been Everywhere, Man because he has been everywhere, man. He says, I've been everywhere so many times. I can tell you what city I'm in just by looking at the skyline. Uh, and, he says, and they're all beautiful in their own way, right? Um, so come, let us make bricks. Uh, they made brick for stone, bit them for mortar. Verse four, and they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we dis be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. There's the name language. So come, let us make... Because come, we cannot create, but let us make. And what are they trying to make? A name for ourselves. Go back to the fall. What is, what is the temptation? The day you eat of the fruit, you will be like God. And now what is this Eden? Remember, Eden is a garden on a mountain, according to Ezekiel, 
What are they doing? Making a city. Uh, they're making a mountain out of a city, basically. It's probably a ziggurat. And the farther up you go, the closer you get to heaven. They're trying to make Eden all over again. But at its, at its root is to create unity out of this division. And it works for a time. But notice what, what God does in the story. Verse 6, the Lord said, Behold, they are one people. They have all one language. This is only the beginning. So what does God, God do? He says, come, let us see what this is. Now, part of that is mocking them, right? Is that they've made this mighty tower to reach the heavens, and the guy in the, in the heavens has to come down because he can't find it from where he's sitting, right? You know, So he's like, well, let me stoop down here. Oh, there goes my back, right? He's making fun of, of the, the uh, Babylonians here. But you see, see what's happening. So now what does God do? Is he disperses them out of judgment. So in their effort for unity... In judgment, they get division. This is the Babel ideal. And this is the, the, the great divide, isn't it? The Eden ideal seeks unity through diversity of humanity as fellow and equal image bearers. The Babel ideal seeks unity through imperial dream by elevating one city or one people group. So what you have here are descendants of Ham the one who sinned against his father, they tried to create for themselves unity. The message of the Bible is no, let God create unity by means of creation and redemption. Now, we get this um, in the rest of scripture. Now, we'll have to get there in a week or two, but let me just, just give you a spoiler alert. What is the story of Abraham? From you... One, I will bless the nations, many. And I will make your name great because God will be praised through Abraham. You see the difference? The Babel ideal was I will make my name great and bring everyone to me. The gospel ideal is that when God's name is great, he'll make our name great. Now, this is ultimately fulfilled at Pentecost. We did this when we, months ago when we did Tyre Babel. At Pentecost is the reversion of Babel. At Babel, you have one language that becomes a diversity of languages. At Pentecost, you have a diversity of languages that is heard as one language. I mean, people hear it in, in their tongue. But, but Peter is saying one language and everyone hears it. It's the reversion of it. And what comes out of that that seminal event is the church. But what is the church? We said this Sunday morning, right? The church isn't found in Jerusalem or Mecca or Salt Lake City or uh, uh, Lexington, Kentucky, right? It's, it's not where the church is to be found. The church is in the nations. So the one language we speak is the gospel language. This is why when, when I went to Africa, we sang Amazing Grace in three or four languages. Uh, Zarm, uh, Zarm, as that was called, uh, French, English. It seemed like there, there was another dialect we did. Uh, but even though I didn't understand a word of French or any other language, I knew exactly what was being communicated. That God saved a wretch like me. So the idea of the church is that we find our identity not in tribalism, but in Jesus, who is both creator, thus we trace our biological genesis from Adam and Noah, but he's also redeemer. Thus, we trace our theological unity in him, the new Adam, the true and better Adam, 
the true and better Noah, the true and better Abraham in Israel, is found in him. This is a problem when the American evangelical church misses this broad biblical principle for tribalism. And we are falling for this so bad, and we should really be concerned. Uh, I think there will be a pruning of that in, in, in the next 10 years or so, especially when we're all in prison. But um, that, that, that's where all of this is, is going. Are you completely lost? So it just so happens it's Inauguration Day, and we're going to talk about unity. Now, you'll notice whoever won the election, your guy or the other guy, what was going to be their message today? Unity. But what did both guys spend two years doing or four years doing? Division. Every politician does this. I'm not just picking on Trump and Biden. Every politician does it. In order to get you to vote for me, I've got to get you to hate that guy more than you hate me, right? <laughs> right? We're so divided, I can't get you to like me, <laughs> right? Uh, but if I can get you to dislike that guy more and to scare you to death what this guy's going to do, but then when I come and say, okay, now that I've been elected, let's all get together, light a candle, sing the Coca-Cola theme song, and all get along, it doesn't work. That's the way Babel does things. It's not the way Jesus does things. This is the hope for America if we will repent and pray that we do and pray that we, otherwise we're going to get more, more division. Okay, I've rambled on long enough and probably lost everybody. Um, any thoughts, ideas, criticisms, jokes? It's out of order. There's, there's two names worth highlighting. Um, I think one we'll see next week with the descendants of Shem. There's two Shem genealogies. One's in chapter 10, one's in chapter 11, which is what we skipped today. Um, in, chapter, in chapter 10, you get, a, you get Nimrod in the descendants of Ham. That's the Babel story. So Babel is out of order. Now the question is, um, did you have one language up to battle across the board? Or does it mean the Hamites had one language? The other name, I think is in chapter 11, the name is Perez. It could be in chapter 10 as well. It could be in both. Some names are in both. Perez, I think, means div division, something like that. It's, he's a descendant of Sham. And it says... This was in the days of the division. You, you can find it in, in your Bible. Just Google Perez and you'll find the verse. Um, and so it seems like, so, that, so you have two examples of where Babel fits right in the middle of the genealogies. Um, so, so yeah, it's either all the Hamites spoke one language or all the earth spoke one language. Um, and that is just a matter of interpretation of what does it mean that the whole earth or the whole land Hebrew isn't as clear on some of that as English is. Um, yeah. Um, and some try to make the same argument with Noah's flood, but I do think Noah's flood is universal. But the Babel story may be less universal, but it could be universal. I don't have an opinion on that. I hope that's not a matter of orthodoxy. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Oh. And the Terah passage we read, you see, uh, what is Terah and his three sons doing? They're going west 
so you're in Ur, which is where Babel is. It's just like your cousins with Babel, Babylon. They first go northwest to Haran, and then God tells them to go the rest of the way, to, which is west, to Canaan. So Abraham is a Shemite in the land of the Hamites. And there the promise is made that the nations will be blessed. He is a sojourner among the nations to bless the nations. That's the hope of the gospel. So if you hear me say anything, the hope of the gospel should be the hope of the church. And thus is the hope of this nation. So that's, that's good stuff. All right. Um, if Frank were here, I would have had him read the King James. Chapter 10, verse 32. You know, the real Bible. All right. Well, I'm exhausted. Um, that is a lot. So how about we, we end it there, uh, if, if you're not lost. Next week, we'll, we'll look at the genealogy from, uh, but I think it'll go a little, a little quicker. So how about we stand?